This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. I'd like to give special shout outs to my top tier patrons, David from Portland, Tom from Pancake Analytics, the Snorlaxian, Connor from Rock Pokemon, Mike, Night Knight, Hogan, Big No Face, and Matt from Ferraratron. I also can't forget today's episode was executive produced by Leo. Thank you so much for believing in me and backing the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support these episodes, become a patron. I have two tiers at $3 and $5 a month. Joining the first tier gives you exclusive access to patron posts and a vintage card from my collection signed by me. The $5 tier gives you access to everything you get in the $3 tier, along with also having access to our Discord community. It gives you the opportunity to talk to other collectors, discuss market performance and news, show off your mail days, and of course, ask questions. Whether you join or not though, I still appreciate you listening. If you haven't already heard, I've been working on a passion project called Cardfolio. It is going to be an app that'll let you scan your cards onto your phone and add them to your virtual binder. Your virtual binder allows you to keep track of not only what you own, but you'll also be able to keep track of what you need. Are you chasing a shadowless master set like me? Cardfolio will keep track of your progress towards your goals so that it makes it easier to achieve. But Cardfolio doesn't just catalog your collection and manage your collecting goals. It will also allow you to see your collection like an investment portfolio. This means you'll be able to see how much your collection is worth, how that value has changed over time, and how your collection value breaks down by item type. For example, how much your raw, slabbed, and sealed sections of your collection is worth. Now, if all of that sounds like an app you would download, then join my early access list. I'll keep you up to date with app progress, mockups, and when early access is available, you'll have download access. If you would like to join, the link is in the description, so sign up for early access today. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Fortnite, comic books, you name it, we talk about it all. I am your host, Jess, and welcome to today's episode where I brought on RJ to the show. I really enjoyed having him on because this is something a little bit different, something that I haven't really gone into, and that is video games. And I think if you've been a long-term listener, I've kind of brought this up with a few other guests to try and see if I can get as much information as I can because video games is such an interesting market and it's kind of exploded over the past few years. I mean, as far as when I started becoming aware of it and in in video game selling for thousands of dollars and 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 video games being worth that money because it's graded and it's sealed and that's all just been something really interesting to me because of course like I've been a gamer since I was three years old I think the first set or the first um you know system I had was the NES playing Mario you know so uh it was really great to have RJ on because he is a vintage video game collector he doesn't do as much of the grading of the video games but he was still a pleasure to talk with because I was able to, you know, learn more about that market and how to kind of move within that market with some good tips for starting out for anyone who is interested in buying video games. I know for myself, I am keeping an eye out on the vintage niche small horror games 
that aren't quite, I guess, vintage if they're from PlayStation or PlayStation 2. I'm not too sure. Anyways, I have my eye on on all of the Resident Evil games, all of the niche games like of Rule of Rose or Kuan, all of those weird obscure ones. So anyways, that's what I'm keeping track of. But but anyways, I digress. RJ was great to have. Um, I think, you know, regardless of how you collect or where you collect, I think you'll find this conversation to be really interesting. And maybe you, if you aren't already, you might start collecting video games. If you do, hit me up on Instagram. I'm curious to know what you're collecting, how you've gone about it, how it's been for you, and uh, we'll go from there. But anyways, thank you so much for being here today and welcome RJ. Yeah, that's right. With them, I was actually seeing uh, Godzilla versus Kong with my brother. <laughs> oh, was it good? For a monster, I like monster movies, and it it did everything I wanted it to do. <laughs> I, I heard that it was really good, so. <laughs> yeah. Glad you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. But um. Anyways, we can go ahead and get started. Gosh, I'm so glad that you're on. So um, really quickly, like the first thing I wanted to start with was just really, and I was I was telling everyone a little bit about you on the stream uh, before you hopped on, but um, I want you to let us know like what kind of collector you are and like mm -hmm. how you've got into the game of collecting and when, just like all that cool backstory. So tell us about you. Yeah, um, I think to be honest, I think it starts right at the beginning. The first console I had when I was a kid was a Sega Genesis 3. <laughs> and that that came out like in 1998. So well after the first Genesis consoles came out. So it was retro when I got it. And that, but you know, to me, that was like the coolest thing. And it was brand new to me. And every game I got from my cousins or secondhand from you know wherever those were all brand new experiences for me and was that the 16-bit uh sega yeah so that was it so it was the third there was like the first genesis then there was the second mm -hmm. one and then mm -hmm. they they put out the saturn and it wasn't really selling well in the u.s and then they did the <laughs> genesis 3 which was like super lightweight it wasn't even manufactured by sega um it was just like it was kind of it was pretty much a, a piece of junk, but but I still have it and it still works. I don't I don't game on it still, but I still have it. Um, and it was I think someone said, you know, if because I never really played with other people, I just kind of played by myself. But if you plugged in both controllers, like the original Genesis controllers, they would outweigh the actual console. <laughs> what? Which is which is never good for a cartridge <laughs> console because that meant freezing <laughs> and all that. Stuff. Right. Oh um, my gosh, that's funny. Yeah, so that that's a precedent though because you know in my family we never bought uh, consoles like day one, so we would always mm -hmm. get them like a year after, or two years after. Um, so that appreciation for a console whenever you got it was always there, um, and so that that's kind of what was sort of the starting point. Um, in college, I started so like high school, I kind of got away from it. Um, we never like gave away anything, so I mm -hmm. still have a lot of my old games. Yes, um, which is a big deal to me. <laughs> it's a huge deal. Like yeah. garage sales are the number one like disappearer 
you know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> of your collections, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, so getting back into it in college, I would start getting games here and there to like bring back to school. Cause my friends at college liked that I had a J Sega Genesis and <laughs> play, play like NBA jam and stuff. And, oh. uh, classic <laughs> it's such a fun you know game to play with other people mm -hmm. um and so in college i was grabbing games here and there and then after college get a job that type of thing um i see this thing called a retron which is a console hmm. that plays um super famicom famicom you know the japanese nintendo games or consoles nintendo super oh, okay. nintendo genesis mm -hmm. All three all Game Boy, like it plays most any cartridge <laughs> you can think of. Um, and once I got that, I was like, all right, like I'm into this. And I started listening to podcasts, following YouTubers and just riding that nostalgia wave and almost being bummed like, man, I should have done this like sooner, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, totally. Wow. Yeah. I've never played with the Retron. So that is like, the, so that has cartridge adapters for all of them. It's not Actually, an emulator. I can show you. It's right here. Yes, let's see it. Let me. Um, I actually I had it turned on because I thought, man, this would be cool to like play in the background. But then, <laughs> but then it wasn't like showing up right <laughs> on the screen. So let me. Oh just quick, yeah. Let me just quick take this out and I'll show you exactly what it is. Um, so I was playing recently. This is. Oh, what is it? It's like family fun racing or something. It's a oh, Famicom okay. game made by Namco, the people that made Pac-Man. Uh huh. Um, so that was a fun little. That's that's really old school. We're talking. Yeah. Is that pre Nintendo uh, so NES? That would, that would be at the same time. Oh, except okay. in Japan. Mm, okay, so that was only a, a Japanese release exactly. to that market. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so this is what it looks like. So you have all your cartridge slots for each. <laughs> And then, that is such a beast. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. And then you got your, you can use, you know, original controllers um, on either side, HDMI, all that good stuff. Um, wow. The only gripe is that the controller that came with this was terrible. Like that was the one thing they overlooked in their production <laughs> was making a, their own controller that was actually good. It was like really weird and like it was almost mm. like a mouse like a computer mouse buttons. It was just weird. And That's weird. Not ideal. But, um, <laughs> but you can play original uh, hardware, like handheld or um, controllers and, and it works just fine. And it's all, you can, there's so many like upscaling things like with HD, like you can smooth out the pixels, make them really harsh and original. Like, mm. You can go crazy on that stuff. And <laughs> I, I don't a lot, but I do like, yeah, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, but I really want to have, like, especially for NES and Super NES, because I didn't have those consoles in their heyday. I want to mm -hmm. keep it, like, as close to the original as possible. Um, and that console lets you do that. That's that's really awesome. You know, that's that's interesting that you say, you know, there's kind of, like, mods where you can go in and manipulate and change things, make it better, or make it more original. It's funny because I was talking to my brother about this. He's like very much into opening things up and seeing how they work. And so what he's been doing is he's been buying a lot of the old like Playstations, the Playstation 2s, putting in those like those mods that either help him like 
see things better or gosh, I know sometimes there's some restrictions with games. So like the, I don't, I don't know if it's called localization, but being able to play like Japanese games on like a PlayStation or PlayStation two, like you have to go in and mod that shit. (laughs) Like, yeah potentially ruin you know the console but it's been fun because um he's been pulling out like old silent hill like silent hill one and silent hill two like those old 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 games i i love i do not play horror games i only watch them because like i'm too chicken shit like so (laughs) so all this resident evil the village like i've just been watching gameplay and i've been getting scared because like i can't play it but um i'm I'm scared of all of it you're you're even ahead of me (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny but you you know what's been really interesting about like the vintage game market and i guess like this is kind of what got me interested into it because I watch like a lot of random gaming channels that do documentaries on old school school games. So like uh, Ragnarok's, I think that's how you say it, but he does a lot of um, like he's focused on the more horror genre or or just that those types of games. So like Kuan and um, God Rose, what's the Rose game? There's a lot of like like indie horror survival games that yeah. are like like kuan last time i saw it was going for 800 bucks and mm. like the it looked completely like shit and yeah. so i was like why why are all the, these games are going for so much there's like so much to learn it just kind of like the 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 vintage video game market just kind of like crept up on me personally like it just yeah. kind of like took me by surprise i was like what are these games like why are, i mean i know the games but like why are they going for so much that's so insane like yeah. like what was the most recent purchase something like thirty-two thousand. Oh god what was it there was a record for a game purchase it, i want to say it was thirty-two thousand dollars for like a wada 9.8 or a 98 like super mario something like that yeah it's just insane but anyways i'm sorry we completely veered off so you started so you started collecting uh games like a little bit later on i mean still back in the day but a little bit later on it's the older versions of sega i don't even remember having like those versions of sega like i had like the eight bit (laughs) like the very first one is probably when i came in so like did you like as a kid even though like you guys weren't getting them at release were you did you always have like um like each console at least at some point? Yeah, you know, we were actually, I was the only one amongst my friends that had a Sega Dreamcast. So Mm -hmm. that my parents got it like, either like a a family friend had given that to them or they got it at a garage sale. They didn't buy it new. Um, And I remember like trying to like represent the Sega Dreamcast when my (laughs) friends were getting like PS2s and stuff. And I'm like, this this is legit. Like, So definitely for Sega, like we didn't have the Sega Saturn. um, And like I said, that's when I sort of like just started getting into it. So I probably wouldn't have gotten it anyway, but it didn't sell well in America anyway. So um, Mm -hmm. that one's one's kind of a wash. Um, (laughs) But, you know, N64, um, PS2, we kind of skipped PlayStation. um, Mm -hmm. And then basically my brother, he's more of a modern gamer. So he was starting to buy the modern consoles and I was buying games for that. But mm-hmm. I was still always keeping the retro stuff like in tow with me, you know, mm-hmm. wherever I was at the time. Um, so like, I still have my original N64. That's my 
Workhorse N64 that I still use, same with the Dreamcast. Um, and I didn't really know this at the time, but you can play PS1 games on PS2. So I have a PS2 that I got from a thrift store for $13. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that I that was really dirty. Basically, they were like, it's sold as is. I was like, all right, is there an outlet that I can just plug this into <laughs> to see if yeah. it turns on and if the disk drive opens? And <laughs> both those things happened. So I took it home for $13, opened it up, cleaned it out, and it's still with me today. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Was it the yeah. original PlayStation yeah, 2? Yeah, it's the fat one. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's the only one that allows you, that's backwards compatible, right? Am I right yeah, on that? It has, with PlayStation? it has the most backwards compatibility. Mm. So on the Slim, there are more games that aren't compatible. Mm. Um, gotcha. So your safer bet is is the fat. Is the fat one. Okay, yeah. awesome. So yeah. what are your go-to, actually, okay, what's your go-to console? And for that console, what are your go-to games? Okay, so it would probably have to be the Sega Genesis. Um, mm -hmm. The first game I ever got for the Sega Genesis, because I grew up in a sports family that loves sports, I got NHL 94, which is actually considered, even to this day, the greatest hockey game of all time. So wow. I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, eight-year-old RJ was on the money there. <laughs> so um, that one is like the game that I've had the most hours into. I know all mm -hmm. the moves. I know how all the strategy works. Um, I think if I were to go, especially like in Canada, they have a ton of tournaments for that game for NHL 94. And so mm -hmm. I, I feel like I could probably hold my own in a, in a tournament sitting in the game. Dude, let's see it. <laughs> let's go. Although, let's go. Although I think there probably are some really good Canadians that would probably still kick my butt. So <laughs> respect to those, to those folks. Um, so that's kind of like where I start, but, um, I'm really into racing games too. Mm -hmm. um, so probably in that genre, that's probably actually the genre that I play the most. I try to play like a racing game. So I kind of have like cycles. So I'll probably mm -hmm. play like two games at once. And I always try to make one of those games a racing game. Um, and so probably the game that I have the most time into that I also have that nostalgic tie to would be um, Tokyo Extreme Racer for the Dreamcast. Um, nice. It's sort of like people, obviously, Dreamcast wasn't huge, so not a ton of people know about it, but it had a good life uh, lifespan that went into the PS2. Um, mm -hmm. So some people who are really into PS2 and, and know a lot about racing games are familiar with like Tokyo Drift and, uh, or not Tokyo Drift, Tokyo Extreme Racer Drift. And then <laughs> so, some of those, um, you know, sequels that came out on, on the PS2. But that's probably the game where I could just pick it up and just dominate but and just you know, go with it yeah but i've been getting into like um like brawlers and beat-em-ups and um you know <laughs> yes. like one v ones you know like uh, yes. obviously mortal kombat's really big right now because of the movie um, <laughs> yeah but a lot of the fighting games like street fighter um oh rage. classic like those oh are yeah those. what i love to do too that i know isn't like you know the, the best way to play video games but like I love setting games on easy and just mm -hmm. relaxing with a game. <laughs> like at the end of a long day, it's like, I, sometimes you just don't want to be mentally strained. <laughs> you know, you just want to like clobber people in a pixelated world for a few minutes and, Look, and I, have no restrictions. 
I was going to say, like, I can't even judge that because, you know, kind of like with collecting where, you know, why would you judge someone based on how they or what they collect? Right. That's the same way with like playing video games, you know, like like with Bloodborne. I started playing that on PS4 many years ago and I haven't finished just because it just is a commitment. And sometimes you just don't have the time for that commitment and that emotional investment to just die, 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 die. You know? Right, exactly. It takes so. a lot of energy and, you know, mental composure to put yourself through <laughs> that for right? one or two hours a night or even more, you know? Oh, 100, 100%. Totally agree. So, yeah. So then like, okay, you said a lot of cool games that I like because I like for sure Mortal Kombat on Sega was go to Sonic, go to Streets of Rage, like Mm -hmm. Streets of Rage 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Street Fighter, of course. Like those were really good ones. So did those all of those made it to like the third version of Sega Genesis? Like you didn't have to do anything special with the cartridges. It didn't require anything like that. Yeah, so that Genesis 3 console was basically the same, had all the same capabilities. There were a few games that had kind of certain peripherals that you couldn't use on that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the most part, I was able to play my Sonics. I was able to play, they call them like the big car EA games that were like bigger than the regular size (laughs) games. Yeah. Um, So like, um, what's a good one from that one? think of one later but yeah like i could play uh, nfl much. blitz yeah well, all the sports yeah. yeah all the sports yeah, games yeah. yeah for sure all the maddens and stuff like that <laughs> um but uh yeah i you know it's funny i never really felt like in all my years of gaming up until this point like any sort of like restrictions like i never got a game that i could ever play which mm-hmm. i guess i was just lucky and just fortunate um but it, it is one of those things that you hear about more as you get into it, like, oh, yeah, region locks and, um, you know, all these peripherals that existed that you never really mm. knew about. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I but I always had, you know, I was always able to go into a game shop and say, yeah, that one. And I'd get it and I'd play it. And it's probably still with me here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So so then as far as like the games that you have and, and what you've been acquiring over time, um, do you only like buy them to to play them or do you also buy them to like invest in or like, oh, you know, this one will probably pop or or something mm-hmm. like that? Is that is that kind of how you roll or? Yeah. So I was thinking about this the other day and and you can let me know what you think of this analogy. I think of like so like collecting, say, Pokemon cards. I think mm-hmm. of that as like buying like fine art, like it's a, mm-hmm. it's an image. It's something that you put on display. It's something that you frame, that type of thing. And then I see collecting games, sort of like collecting, say like muscle cars or sports cars, where mm. people who buy cars and collect cars buy them really to drive, right? Yeah. Like, like their thrill is like people buy a Corvette not to put in the garage, but to take it on the road. Right. Um, and work so, on it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so both have the same value and both evoke the same emotion, but they mm-hmm. both have just different applications in how you receive them and how you appreciate them. Um, 
So, you know, of all the gamers that I are friends with and friends with and talk to and all the people on Instagram that I'm connected with, it's they're buying to drive, they're buying to play. Um, Mm -hmm. And if they're buying a game to say get graded or, you know, just keep under wraps, um, it's more or less because they already have the cartridge that they've been beating up for years, you know, and and they're buying to to commemorate that experience, right? Um, So where I'm at is I'm in a place where I am, I feel like I'm catching up a lot. Like, you know, I didn't have an NES or Super NES as a kid. So I'm like Mm -hmm. trying to get that collection going. Um, And I'm trying to get the Japanese Famicom and Super Famicom. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm doing a lot of building and also too, I'm just really into sort of archiving and sort of like the building a library side of Mm -hmm. collecting. Um, I come from a fine art background. I studied fine art in college. Um, and obviously archiving and archival studies is like huge in that world. Um, so I think I have that sort of nature where I see something and I want to be able to experience it, but also store it away, you know, mm-hmm. organize it. And so I'm kind of in that stage where I'm building my, my archive, I guess is how I would say it. Um, and then, you know, now with the emergence of grading and it's getting more momentum than ever before. I'm when I'm out and about and I'm looking at games and stores and I'm looking in shelves and looking in places I don't normally look, I'm looking for the sealed games that maybe I had, you know, you know, maybe I had the N64 game, but you know, nobody ever had the boxes, but there it is in the box sealed right there. So I'm going (laughs) to grab it now, you know, Um, Uh it's tricky. It's a very tricky um, thing because game grading, you know, there's, you're taking a unit that has, well, it's a 3D object. So Mm -hmm. you're talking about four corners on top, four corners on the bottom of a box, talking about four walls and two flaps on top. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes into it um, that, you know, I sort of just let things come to me in terms of potential things to get graded and that type of thing. Instead Mm, of saying, oh, oh, I want that one right now. You know, because <laughs> it can just be like a demand that you can't meet financially right away. You know, you sort mm-hmm. of need to let that spontaneous, you know, game sort of just kind of float to you, I think. That's, you know, that's a really interesting thing to say because, um, you know, when, when I started seeing, when I realized that you could grade games, like I had no idea. I was like, what is this? And I'm yeah. a, I'm the kind of person that I actually like slabs of things, like whether it's cards, like any kind of card that I have, baseball, you know, magic, Pokemon, Fortnite, whatever. But then even comic books, like I love graded comic books because mm-hmm. like I love the preservation of it. So I completely understand the archival side of you know what you're talking about especially for video games which you know that wasn't a topic that I figured we would touch on but I think that might be a cool topic to talk about considering all that controversy with uh PS3 and PS4 like with with Sony's treating and how they're doing even Nintendo even Nintendo so so um but 
like like as far as as the grading goes when i was first doing research on on like trying to understand video game grading what i found was really interesting to me and it kind of reminded me a little bit of like old school comic book like like certain kinds of comic book collectors they think grading is you know pitiful and it's like not the thing to do because like how can you read your comic mm. with when it's graded which i understand so yeah. that's why like i've always i've taken this other like you know, rule of thumb from comic books. It's like you buy one to one to read and one to keep. So sure, that makes yeah. sense. You know, when people buy like that holy grail, you know, of a of a you know, like Halo Combat Evolved, like seeing that, you know, kind of graded in a really nice yeah. um or, or, or original Tomb Raider, that's really interesting. Like like those like holy grail like parts of history, you mm -hmm. know, games that changed gaming, like I mean, come on, Half-Life. What game yeah. do you see now that doesn't have remnants of Half-Life in it? Right. Like those are those are pivotal historical things. So um, I can understand why people want to be able to play the game. And I think that's really interesting too, like how you collect for both and you balance for both. You you buy the things that you enjoy and and you actually play them. Like I don't know how how many hours you put into gaming a week. Being <laughs> I wish like it was more. I wish it was more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um you know I'm kind of curious because like like with with me at least if someone tells me like hey I like Pokemon I want to get back into collecting Pokemon like what do I do? And I tell them like figure out why you're collecting and then your budget right so mm -hmm. does something like that apply to video games like because if i want to buy to play i'm not going to buy graded ones then i'm just going to buy you know the ones that i want to play i'm going to buy them raw yeah. right yeah yeah and usually what i say is you know start with that nostalgic experience that you have already um you know if you played super mario 64 on 64 start there <laughs> you know there's definitely yeah. copies of that around and you know it's not rare usually what you played as a kid isn't isn't rare nine times out of ten nine point eight times out of ten you know you can, <laughs> you can get nostalgic really quick with gaming still mm -hmm. and you can still get hardware you know consoles are still accessible you know mm -hmm. unless you had some you know, unless you had the Neo Geo or a Turbo Graphics, which no one ever really did have, um, then you should you should be in a good in a good place. I say so. Always start with what you're familiar with. You know, mm -hmm. to you know whether because some people just want to scratch that itch and then that's it. Like they just want mm -hmm. that and then and then they're good. And I think that was a good um, sort of market for the mini consoles that came out. You know, in, in recent years, the PS one mini and the you know the nintendo mini like the nes mini those were like good consoles for people that wanted to just scratch that itch and maybe didn't mm -hmm. want to get back into collecting they just wanted to play that one game again um but if you really want to get back into it hardcore um start there and then you know start looking in your local game shops online um mm -hmm. it's like you know like anything nostalgic this is like hopping in a time machine right and then you know you hop in the time machine you go to that familiar place but then you're like oh there's all these other places that i can go to from this time from this realm um that i grew up in but just don't remember um mm -hmm. i i think 
the fear that people have is that it's that it's not accessible to them. But really, there is so much out there and so many games that are just, you know, cheap. <laughs> like there's no other way to really put it. Um, mm-hmm. Because the interesting thing about sort of the video game world and the video game market is that, you know, when Nintendo put out a game, they wanted to put out as many copies of that game as possible. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't ever really with the intention. Like rarity in video games to me, from what I've seen, has always been accidental rarity or unintentional Interesting. Rarity. It's never Interesting. been like, oh, we're only going to do 20 of these copies and that's it. Like, it's not like, <laughs> you know, the Wonka golden ticket <laughs> effect. Like, <laughs> that, that does not exist in gaming at all. If a franchise took off, Nintendo, Sega, the, the heavy hitter, Sony, they were like, we are putting out as much of this as possible. Like, mm-hmm. I actually have an opinion about Mario games that they're that they're too expensive <laughs> given how many oh, really how, how much of that it is and how much there is of it it does not make sense to me sort of the prices on some mario games be, from a demand sort of scale you know mm, um, interesting and maybe that's just me being a Sega kid and just saying oh, you know <laughs> you know i could have whatever sonic game i wanted what, what gives <laughs> but um um but that's yeah so i think uh yeah start in those places and then if you also if you don't have any sort of experience with gaming maybe you never had games as a kid there are those peoples that like their kids or their parents were like oh we don't want our kids to play video games and now they're adults and they have that opportunity like Mm -hmm. you know i would say start with like a franchise that you love like a media franchise um you know the pop culture world is well represented in video games so um you know superheroes cartoons like they're all represented in the video game world um Mm -hmm. so those are always great places to start for people unfamiliar with just the gaming world in general oh okay so i mean yeah i mean that's really that's really straightforward so then (laughs) Going back to what you talk about rarity, because that's really interesting to me, because that like dominates the Pokemon market in some ways, in, in a lot of ways, right? That like that's all of what it is about, right? Especially like for yeah. vintage and very, very old like Japanese stuff. So um can you give us an example of like an accidental accidentally rare game? Yeah, I definitely. I can give you a couple. Um so I think um a really big one, and I think this is the most expensive, or maybe has the highest sale. Um, this was for the NES. It was mm-hmm. called, oh, it was called, it was made by Bandai. It was like um, it was like Family Fun Olympics or Family Fun Sports. And it was this game that was made to be played with a, like a floor mat. Like it was like a Wii Fit board almost. Like, Nice. <laughs> so you would like step on it and your character <laughs> would respond um and nintendo saw it right as it was released and mm-hmm. bought the rights to it like wholesale and i guess the rumor is that only 20 of those games actually were sold like ahead of their time <laughs> yeah only 20 made it and um so those 20 are have been floating around and um 
basically what Nintendo did was they just they just took they bought everything they bought all the, the cartridges and they bought all the 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 floor mats or game pads whatever you want to call them and you know rebranded them all but the cartridges they didn't even they, like they just destroyed them because at that time it wasn't it wasn't ideal to repurpose cartridges so oh. um yeah so even more of a reason why if you find one it's like super super crazy rare um so they exist and i'm pretty sure um i looked it up yesterday i think i think i might have it i have it here i'm pretty sure it went into the six figures um a brand wow. new sealed version because what i what i read in an article was that um a guy who had actually bought the game new at the time it came out um he bought it and couldn't find that floor mat to play with huh. so he just kept it in the box sealed and stashed it away and had the intention of returning the game back to the store he bought it from <laughs> and 30 <laughs> 35 years later he's like oh i never did that here's that game <laughs> And oh my god and it's worth crazy crazy amounts of money um that was yeah that's an example of nintendo i don't know if it was a timing thing i don't know if you know i don't know if it was on shelves when nintendo bought it i mean mm -hmm. only 20 copies to get actually you know sold i think that to me that just says okay one store didn't get the memo or two <laughs> stores didn't get the memo and yeah they out that's the only way I can fathom how that happened. Um, and then a, a, a good second one is um, it's a Flintstones game, <laughs> which you think, oh man, Flintstones, like how could that yeah. be worth thousands of dollars? So the company that made this Flintstones game, it was Surprise at Dino Peak. I preached sure that's the title. Um, it was. Um, made by a company called Taito. And Taito put the game out in August of 94. Mm -hmm. And Nintendo announced in December of 95 that the NES was going to be done. And Taito said, okay, we're not going to do a Super Nintendo version of this game. It's just going to be that. So mm -hmm. you're talking about four or five months of this game being sold and that's it <laughs> and they were like you know the game was i think reviewed well like but they said we're not going to do a super nintendo version of this because like there was um a wario game that came out in december of 94 before um the nes you know shut down or they ended the nes but they made that into a super nintendo game too so mm -hmm. This was just a game that just was made late in the lifespan of the NES and didn't get uh, a newer version for the for the newest console. So huh. another case of I think Nintendo would have wanted them to do a newer version, but Taito Taito was the type of the type of developer that would they would make a game and be like super proud of it, <laughs> and they would only make Aww. that version of that game, and mm. they're pretty well beloved I think and you know, I think because of that, um, mm -hmm. but it also creates situations where you have a Flintstones game selling for thousands of dollars, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, a Mario game, because, you know, Mario took off and they would make 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies. Yeah, you know, that is so interesting. And what I found to be real funny, like when I would start to go and uh, like go to resale or like thrift stores or whatever, and, you know, just look at the games to see what they had, it always seemed like anything Nintendo held its value, which I found to be so interesting. I found that like across any system, it didn't seem like the sports games were holding their value at all, or at least the ones that I saw. I'm sure that there's like a few that are really special and are worth a lot, but like, I I didn't see that the sports game, like I saw like six golf games for like Sega, you know, of the same game, just sitting there and it would always sit there, would never move. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always found it to be really interesting why certain things retained more value than others. Because even a game like Lion King, for example, on Sega Genesis, played the shit out of that game. My favorite part was when you were Tomo, no, you were Pum. Uh, Pumbaa and you had to like get the bugs and the bugs were just falling and you had to like you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah that was so good you could just get in a zone with that and and yeah. like I loved that game but that game has like at least from what I saw you know obviously unsealed like it didn't seem to retain any kind of uh like resale value but then my brother came across a harvest moon for uh the 64 And it was, you know, no box, no nothing, just the cartridge. And I think I sold it for him at around 60 bucks. And I was like, wow, that was just so interesting to me. Like why Nintendo seems to retain more value, which I mean, like, like you were just saying, you're not 100% sure why, you know, some Mario games are at where they're at because it's like, okay, well, that was printed to oblivion or manufactured (laughs) to oblivion, but But yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts like on Nintendo in general. I mean, I guess like it's just a, like they just repeatedly like build very solid brands. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you know, I have I have a ton of respect for Nintendo. I love everything they've made. Mm-hmm. Um, my my biggest gripe with Nintendo is that they seem to know how much people love the back catalog and don't make it a priority to cater to that Mm -hmm. or don't make it a priority to um i guess well i guess a, a good perspective to look at it is you know the mini consoles come out and sure they're for those people that want to relive that magic or like you know gamers who just buy anything that comes out from Nintendo, which is totally cool. Um, But it's a limited list of what's on there. And there's kind of like no room for expansion. Like there's no, it's kind of like a a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seems like Sega and sort of, you know, the other big names, Namco, you know, kind of going back, like even Atari, you know, those companies, yeah, have they had the same success as Nintendo? No. And obviously there's something Nintendo's doing that they're not. Um, but those brands are like so open to having their games be reimagined in so many different ways and so many different varieties on so many different platforms, um, whether it's anything from mobile to you know, a reincarnation of uh, arcade cabinet. Like, 
there are there are so many ways that we can take retro gaming now because we know that we are in a day and age where the power and you know CPU to run these games is not as bad as we once we thought. Like back in the day, we were like, "Oh, we're pushing technology with Sega Genesis. <laughs> we're pushing it with the Super Nintendo." Mm -hmm. Now we can run all those games on a sixty-dollar tablet. So like, right? There are so many cool ways that we can take retro gaming, and so many communities online everywhere that are have so many great ideas and are begging Nintendo to hear them out and it just doesn't happen and mm -hmm. I get that they're running a very tight ship and and they've gotten to this point largely because of that but it doesn't seem like a huge risk to a lot of us retro gamers to hear some of these ideas of you know making the entire back catalog you know acceptable or uh, playable on like mm -hmm. the eShop that is mm -hmm. an easy thing to do. It is so easy to do. ROM files are so small and they can be integrated so easily. And Nintendo's like, nah, no, nah, we're not gonna, we're not we'll gonna do, do it. We'll, we'll do this one. <laughs> we'll do this one and we'll do it for a limited time. And um, you know, it's just it just doesn't make sense to me sometimes because it's those are the things that got them to this point. So mm -hmm. You know, I think the retro community just kind of like to see more, more integration and just more of that, you know, understanding from the top that, you know, this is part of who we are and we want to continue to do this with the new technology that we are here to buy in an instant. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <sighs> Like, and what was the uh, Mario game recently? Like, one of their highest-selling Mario games that they just took off the eShop. Yeah, for the anniversary. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just so strange to me. I, I don't know. Like, it, it reminds me, like, so it, it reminds me of that whole thing with Konami and mm -hmm. uh, Silent Hills with yeah. um, Kojima. Like, there's there's so much i mean i mean there's so many i feel like there's a lot that they're missing out on right because there's yeah. this whole market that they can cater to where they can just make easy money they don't have to do anything right they don't yeah. have to remake assets redo anything nothing they just put something on an e-shop and then we can just enjoy it and there's a whole market um but then also too like seeing what for example capcom has done with the recent resident evil remakes yeah. like like reimagining as you were saying an original be beloved game and doing a really good job of it yeah. i mean that can revitalize a brand and and when we're talking about like especially within gaming on how risky and expensive it is to go on a limb go out on a limb to try something completely new yeah. like you have proven ips like proven yeah. games that you know that there's a market for so it, it makes me kind of sad on that perspective like i i don't even i mean i'm sure there's a good reason behind it i mean they're not going to share that with us because we're right. just you know simpletons yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it, it just makes me so sad and it goes back to with like the archival of games like now we're getting to the point where companies literally are forcing gamers to use emulations which are against the law mm -hmm. <laughs> to play games that we want to play like that is being actively encouraged whether they mean to do that or not 
So it's like, why don't you just let people play the games legally and like you make money from it and there's nothing, you know, like doesn't make sense. And the gaming community is saying, we will do that. We will play it legally. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, the retro hour. They're out of the UK and Mm -hmm. they were talking about um, the, I think the recent Sony kind of controversy and Mm -hmm. they said it's just kind of sad that it's gotten to a point where the only way to preserve retro video games now is through piracy like just think about that like how else are are you going to preserve your your nostalgia if Mm -hmm. you don't have access to it like i guess by the by the letter you should be like well i guess i can't access that but it's just there's just something weird about it it's just it just doesn't make sense that that something so simple and something so you know profitable and productive to that whole industry would mm-hmm. be completely ignored just for the the, the biggest and newest thing. Mm-hmm. Like there there are yeah. whole conventions and whole communities dedicated to the glory days of these companies. And it's just overlooked every time. And you're just like, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like how often do you see like a a industry person from like Nintendo at a like like I don't want to say a small town convention, but you know, like a local gaming something that's not E3, you know? Yeah. Like never. <laughs> like, never, you have never. To get the, you have to get the voice talent or the artist that no longer works for Nintendo. And it's just mm-hmm. like, I think people are just longing for that community, like that, that connection to the, to the people that made these games, what they are to us and got us through tough times that were there through the good times. And like, you know, you hear the stories from the voice actors and stuff when they love doing that. They love connecting. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that that human element is just, Again, I get business is business and Nintendo wouldn't be where they are without being heartless in, in some, you know, ways. Yeah. But but the, the community does seek that because retro gaming is about nostalgia. That's mm-hmm. what drives it. So there is a high emotional element um, to this hobby and um, there's a longing for that to be um, reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, two things that kind of come to mind, um, you know, as you talk about these things, the first thing is like, it makes me realize, wow, if I didn't trust video games, or like video or publishers to handle like uh, downloads properly. And what I mean by that is like, I don't download games, I buy the physical because yeah. I don't trust like uh, what is it? Uh, like paying for license fees, you know, cause yeah. that's what it is when you're downloading. So a, it makes me not trust that whole ecosystem in general, because this is how they're handling that. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like, I don't know, maybe five or six years, I won't be able to play my PS4 or my PS3 at all because, yeah. you know, uh, like those servers are going to go down soon. So then I have to deal with that bullshit and figure out how to get around all that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but like also it's kind of funny that in a way like these things also create moments of scarcity like 
the one piece of scarcity that I can think of is Konami taking down PT. And then those PlayStations that had PT downloaded on, on, you know, those stations, like they were going for thousands. Like I, I think at one point I saw it for 1200, but I'm sure that's changed. And that was like 15 years ago is when I was like, you know what? Maybe not 15. I exaggerated a little bit, but you know, like seven or eight years ago, um, which, which is really, really little interesting pieces, um, which is, is funny and interesting. And I guess like, like, I don't, I, I, I guess what it goes back to is, is I just really like when it comes to video gaming, there is like with Pokemon, there are like very historical, like moments in time, but, um, those are not as tangible, I guess, in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to gaming where it's like whoa okay pt was taken down from the store you couldn't download it at all it never came out on a disc like this is what it was and now you have however many playstations that have that and and people were selling them on ebay when they weren't supposed to <laughs> uh, <laughs> i can't i can't remember the law or like what what the technicality was for that but you know just really interesting i don't know yeah yeah um yeah i don't download I buy as much hard copies as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, actually, I think I have it behind me. This is, this console, this is a handheld. This is, I'm most excited about this unit right now as far as a new gaming piece. This is called an Evercade. And it's a, Interesting. it's a, it's a handheld mm-hmm. unit that has licensed cartridge. This is Atari Lynx collection. Oh, nice. And so okay. they have 16 cartridges. Yeah, I have two of them right there. Um, you have brands like Namco and on, on all these different um, consoles from like the early 90s. Um, mm-hmm. So there are um, games that you would have found on the Super Nintendo Genesis, that you would have found on the NES Famicom, that you would have found on the Atari Lynx. Like that was one of my big reasons for getting it like the atari Lynx is a really hard console to collect original things for um i was like oh why is that it's just it just didn't sell well okay so it's kind of scarce yeah didn't get a whole lot of momentum and Mm -hmm. um subsequently didn't get a ton of games the library isn't very big um so um those types of consoles are perfect for a unit like this that keeps getting these developers and they're saying, yeah, you can take this because we still have the rights to this. And then mm-hmm. you can experience it in a, in a package that is 100% legit and continues to grow and thrive. And they just announced a, a home console. Um, so they'll oh. be able to play things on TVs now, which is cool. Um, so this, that type of console, that type of development is like, like such a, that that's how I see progress in this this hobby. Not that there ever wasn't, but like mm-hmm. that's how I see things move forward is getting on board with the original developers and publishers of the games and bringing it to hardware that is new, that is made for today's game. Because like people were saying, this is the switch of retro gaming. Because you look at the size. <laughs> And you know, yeah. the form factor, it kind of fits in that, you know, that feel, right? Or on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's kind of where I see, you know, in light of all sort of the negative stuff around the big names and the big players in gaming, that's where I see like a really good development, a really positive, you know, piece of gaming that could keep this hobby moving forward and keep gaming moving forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It does seem like it, it, a lot of that comes down to community support. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of some games right now where I can think of where, you know, the, the, the original studios aren't like supporting the games anymore. Like it's yeah. actual, just people in the community that are putting out new patches and, and, and maintaining mods and stuff like that. I'm trying to think of a good example of that, but that's the really cool thing about video games, you know, because gamers and and I think there's relation to the Pokemon community too. When it comes down to it, like it's just about supporting a community and supporting a game and and allowing people access, um, which is is really interesting to me. And I, and I really appreciate that because if I ever wanted to get into a particular game, I know that I probably can. You know, and if it's kind of tough, like I know there's going to be support out there for me to do that. And if I can't get to it and I have to emulate because they're making me, there is explanations and ways to do that, too. Like Mm -hmm. I was actually just talking to Connor about this like a number of weeks ago, but I wanted to replay Pokemon Red and Blue, like the originals, the OG games. And um, he was he was showing me a little bit how to do that on the iPhone because I'm like, well, I. I do have the original, you know, Game Boy games, but but I don't want to carry around a Game Boy, you know, so if I have time, you know, I don't want to like just pull out. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So why not use my phone? So I I still haven't gotten the ROM yet. I haven't downloaded it, but I have the software um, installed. So, I mean, that'll be really fun. But yeah, there's like a lot of like there's a big backbone of a community, which is really cool. And, And it's really funny because like like niches get so deep, like. Niches get so deep like like JRPGs. JRPGs.